Oh, do you hear that noise, Douglas? I, I think it's something on the roof, Will. Ah, who do you think would come at this time of year? <laughs> oh, look, it looks like it's Father Christmas, and he's got a present for all our listeners. What is it, Will? Oh, it's a Christmas holiday special. Well, would you look at that? That's great. <laughs> all right, Douglas, so what are we actually doing today? Well, so, Will, we are doing a holiday special uh, for all of our fine uh, Speaking to the Dead listeners, and we are going to tell them the top 10 winter visitors from around the world. Mm, yes. And so I have five and you have five. And I thought to be yes. fair and balanced in how we order this list, we should just roll a dice. Yes. So we're not favouring any particular winter visitor throughout world culture. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. We've treated them... Uh, We've treated them as indistinguishable from one another in making our list order. So I have a dice here. Which you held up. The listeners cannot see it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I held it up for you, but the listeners can't see that. So what's going to happen? You'll roll the dice. Yes. We'll pick a number. Yeah. And then we'll go through our list, telling our listeners about, um, about people who come at around the Christmas time. So I'm going to roll the dice. And I have a three, which I believe makes it me. The first winter visitor I want to introduce you to is Hotei, who is a Buddhist monk, and he's a religious figure in both China and Japan. In fact, he's Chinese. He's believed to have lived around 900 common era in the Zhejiang province of China. But mm. in Japan, he's one of the seven gods of fortune or good luck right okay yeah i was going to say living in china i've never heard of them but possibly that's just because i don't keep up with my so, deities of fortune so he might be called budai in chinese right okay well what does he do in japan so in japan he comes on new year's eve after people have cleaned the house um, and he's kind of associated with the giving out of money. Mm. Now, at least that's what English language sources say, and Japanese Wikipedia kind of backs up. We need to put one hedge here, which is that there's at least one blog post by someone who is Japanese who thinks that the story has been made up to match European Christmas stories. So made up as in Japanese people have made it up because they felt left out or made up by Westerners who are desperate to look at Western things in other cultures? That one, that okay. one. Um, but he, he certainly is a uh, god of good fortune associated with uh, the gaining of prosperous items. So I felt like it was worth including him here. Yes, well, it's one of the pitfalls of anthropology, right? Which is trying to find um, shapes in a foreign culture to match things you, that you recognise. Yeah, one of the things that's interesting about him, of, kind of some of the other figures we're going to see here, is he's almost certainly a real person. Mm. So he was known for being overweight, but happy. <laughs> imagine, imagine being... Well, imagine being known for being overweight. 
I, mean, I think, though, it was an accomplishment at the time, given that he was uh, a monk who wandered from place to place with merely a sack of his belongings on his back. Yeah, that's true. Usually depicted basically as half naked because his clothes aren't big enough to cover his rotund belly. Mm. And one of the things, there are two written sources, it seems. So one is supposedly his death note, again, from around 918 Common Era. And then there is a record of Buddhist monks called the Transmissions of the Lamp that's written around 1000 Common Era, where they talk about him appearing again after his death. Yeah, so it's kind of very... He's a little bit Christmassy. Yeah, yeah. Even if it doesn't bring I can see the I can see the Christmassy parallels. Um, yes, there's a fat man, someone comes back from... <laughs> from the dead they're giving out money and gifts yeah kind of christmasy great should we roll again yeah let's go for it four it's me again douglas go for it right what's number four all right so number four is le befana uh, apologies for my atrocious italian <laughs> the belfana is a witch with a broom who comes down on Epiphany's Eve, so that's the 5th of January, and puts sweets and toys and fruit in the socks of good children, and coal, or black candy, called basically charcoal, in the socks of bad children. Mm. Well, this is uh, very similar to the kind of like Christmas story I was told but this in my story it was my parents would be like make the Santa is the person who put the black coal on the chalk yeah so clearly Santa in that way and supposedly there are all these stories about how she's connected to the three wise men and the basic idea is that she meets the three wise men as they're going to see the baby Jesus for some reason she doesn't go along with them and later comes to regret that and then she's searching for the Christ child. So that's why she goes and leaves treats for children, because she's hoping that the Christ child is in that house. You've got to love some uh, folk Catholicism, right? There's all these fun stories with folk Catholicism. <laughs> so what's interesting is it's been kind of understood for a very long time that she's actually just a repackaging of an ancient Roman god. So I, I have a source from the eight. 1823, called Vestiges of Ancient Manners and Customs Discoverable in Modern Italy and Sicily by a John Blunt, where he writes, the, the Belfana appears to be the heir at law of a certain heathen goddess called Straina. Mm. And Straina would come in the new year and she would give gifts and she would give the same kind of gifts, figs, dates and honey. And those gifts were called a word very close to Belfana. So right. the thought is that really this is just a taking of this pagan goddess and moving her into the Christian traditions when they start. Yeah, well, we could look at it two ways, right? Whether either it's the Christian tradition is appropriating this person or um, it's like these kind of things find it difficult to die. So they, they live on yes. and, and transfer yeah. into different cultures. 
And it's also possible because she her appearance is as an old hag with a broom mm. that she flies on. It's also possible that she's associated with ideas like Nyctavian and the the kind of burning of the old lady of the last year and the rebirth of the new year. Well, all these kind of things are really fascinating. I, I think they're difficult, right? Because I think the problem with like folk tales, as we'll find with a lot of these, is that they're really difficult to like date or study. Because yes. by their nature, they're not really written down until the right. 19th century. And they, they often kind of probably engaged in a word of mouth that goes back very, very, very far. Sure. And, and which one's the original tale? Is it the one told in this little village or is it the one that's slightly different yeah. over the hill? Or Yeah, it's really difficult. Should we roll and hope for a number over five? So that I, I can have my time. Yeah. Go for it. Eight. eight. Okay, so eight. This year at my university, I've been teaching a cross-cultural communication class. And one of the things we do in cross-cultural communication is you can say, don't judge another culture, right? It's just coming from a different one. But I'm going to make an exception for this one. I am definitely going to judge <laughs> this culture because number eight is a Dutch Christmas tradition called Black Ah, <laughs> and I, yes. I feel very comfortable dudge, judging Dutch culture in this case because Black Peter is basically a helper to Santa who comes around and helps Santa hand out gifts and things like that, usually handing out candy around the 5th of December on St. Nicholas's mm -hmm. Day. And he is traditionally a white man in blackface with that kind of like minstrel look that you might see in Disney yes. cartoons. And I feel happy saying that this is racist, and I am happy to say that it is kind of dying out in the Netherlands mm -hmm. very recently after Black Lives Matter and things like that. Mm -hmm. But the history of this one is actually pretty interesting because Black Peter is actually a fairly recent invention in Dutch culture. So he doesn't date okay. 1850. So the first appearance of Black ah. Peter uh, is in a children's novel from 1850, where he's not given a name. He's just a black helper to Santa Claus. To give this some context about how how racist the origins of this are, this is <laughs> 10 years prior to the Netherlands abolishing slavery. So we have this okay. kids', kids book with Santa having basically a black slave. <laughs> who ah. helps him, and that's the context in which he's born, right? So Santa mm -hmm. requires a helper. Who is this helper? It's basically a slave. And mm -hmm. from this book, he develops a bit of a folk character. So he basically jumps out of the bounds of this children's book and becomes a popular children's character in his own right. He appears in parades and other books and stories and displays and becomes like a popular part of the Christmas pageantry of Holland um, in the 19th and 20th century. Mm -hmm. But definitely racist. Yeah, yeah. All right. Seven. You again, Douglas. Oh, okay. Um, so my number seven is quite a short one. When we were planning this, we wanted to purposefully leave Europe. And so I decided to tell us about Noel Baba, who is the Turkish Santa Claus. Um, ah, yes. So you might be wondering, why does Turkey, a predominantly Muslim country, have a Santa Claus? <laughs> Doesn't really quite make sense, especially given that in Turkey, Christmas is not actually a holiday. You don't get the day off because it's, mm -hmm. it's a Muslim, Muslim country. Well, St. Nicholas, the, the original OG Santa Claus, was born in what is now Turkey. And... At some point, 
the Turkish government seems to have realised that they might have a little bit of a tourist thing on. So uh-huh. they started to market themselves as like, oh, look, St. Nicholas is associated, Santa Claus is associated with Turkey. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you look at pictures of Noel Baba, if I did not tell you this was a Turkish Santa Claus, you would just go, yeah, it's Santa Claus. He just literally looks like Santa mm-hmm. Claus. He's a man with a beard. Mm-hmm. He has the red suit. He's, yeah, that that's who he looks like. He just, to all intents and purposes, Santa. But the big difference is he does not come at Christmas because, as I said, Christmas is not a Turkish mm-hmm. or Muslim holiday. Instead, he comes on the 31st of December and he will hand out gifts ah. to children, very much like Santa Claus. But even this is kind of controversial because Islam uses a different calendar from the West. Yeah. Okay. And so celebrating the 31st of December as the beginning of the new year, the 31st of first, is kind of controversial. So Noel Baba, okay. as far as I can tell, mostly is celebrated in the kind of more liberal coastal cities. And in the more conservative uh-huh. countryside, he's really not a tradition that has appeared all up. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. We, I think we're going to see a lot, that a lot of our winter visitors come on New Year's, whether the... 31st of December or New Year's on a different calendar. He, as far as I can tell, isn't that old. He seems to be a product of a generation of Turkish immigrants who went to Europe and then came back Mm -hmm. with this desire to do something Christmassy around December Mm -hmm. and kind of like the tradition of this idea of Santa Claus. Uh And this has kind of merged with our kind of globalised culture to create this, what is essentially a new folk character. Should we roll again? Five. So that's me. So for number five, I have Krampus, the half goat, half demon monster that beats misbehaving children. Did you see the movie a few years ago? No. No, I didn't. He's a character in a game I play. That's that's my... Uh, Do you want to guess which country in Europe it is believed that the half-goat, half-demon that beats children came from. Um, I'm going to... I'm thinking back to the movie I watched, and I think they said it was Swedish. Am I right? Ah, I have Germany. Well, that's... On uh, authority of the Encyclopedia Britannica. I'm not sure which one we should trust. I think you should trust the Encyclopedia Britannica, as it it has been known for me to mistake Swedish and German accents, believe it or not. Well... So the reason they think it's... So this is a very old character that appears across a large region of Central Europe. But the reason they think it's Germany is because Krampus sounds like Krampen, which is the German for claw. So it's an etymological argument right. for the origin. Now, just like the uh, Belfana, Krampus is believed to actually be a much older ritual or a much older folk character. So in particular, he's thought to be part of pagan rituals associated with the winter solstice and the son of hell, the Norse god of the underworld. Mm. But when the spread of Christianity comes, despite efforts to get rid of him, he becomes a companion to Santa Claus and he appears on December 5th, which is sometimes called Krampus Night, where you said... St. Nicholas's, right? So so this is we're seeing how these same dates are coming up in these stories again. So a bit like the Balvana, it's this character that seems to have started in the pre-Christian days as some kind of folk creature that managed to make its way along into our modern day. 
Well, it does really seem that what we're learning is every culture around the world has a story parents say to go, go to sleep or this monster will eat you. Yeah. Yeah. But so in some, I mean, so Krampus is known to eat children, right? So in some places it's like, go to sleep or Santa will give you coal. And then this is, no, no, the half goat, half demon will beat and eat you. <laughs> go to sleep. <laughs> All right, let's roll again. Oh, I have a nine. Oh, okay. Um, right, so nine is mine, um, and we are doing another creature that eats children, at least originally, when he first came about. Ah. Um, this one from Russia, however. So we're doing Dead Moros, or Grandfather Frost. <laughs> Dead Moros is sometimes called the Russian Santa, but he actually predates mm-hmm. Christianity. They think he was initially a frost demon called Morosko, who would kidnap and eat children. So the idea was mm. that he would kidnap your child, and if you brought him gifts, he would give you the child back, and if you didn't, he would eat I them. See. So kind of a twist ah. on... Reverse Santa. <laughs> yeah, yeah, reverse Santa. <laughs> but once Christianity arrived and the Orthodox Church spread in Russia, they decided that this was a bit gruesome, and so changed them a little into a spirit who instead gives gifts to children. Ah. A much more wholesome, wholesome story. Yes. Who, similar to a few in this story, actually gives gifts around the New Year rather than around Christmas. Because actually, in a lot of Christian traditions, the 25th is not actually the most important day, right? In a lot of Christian traditions, it's either St. Nicholas's Day, which is the gift giving, or it's Epiphany, mm-hmm. or around mm-hmm. New Year. So yeah. if you see pictures of him, he is basically Santa Claus if Santa Claus went to the gym. <laughs> He's like Santa Claus on steroids. It says on his his official tourist website, he's bigger than Santa Claus. He has a longer beard than Santa Claus. Claus. He wears blue rather than red because he's the the grandfather Frost. During the beginning of the Soviet Union in 1917, they banned him because they saw him as a bourgeois bourgeois tradition Mm -hmm. who was giving gifts out to children. But he came back in the 1940s as kind of a Soviet antidote to Western Santa Claus. And he spread the tradition all across um, the Soviet Union and Eastern Europe, and he became very popular in like Bulgaria and Romania. Mm. But after the collapse of the Soviet Union, most of the former communist countries decided to adopt the Americanized Santa Claus, uh, and it's only now today Russia who really, uh, really celebrates dead Moros. So I think what we're learning is that you really can't keep a good folk character down. Yes. The, the most fun thing I learned about Dead Marotz is that he he officially has fraternal relations with Santa Claus. <laughs> prior, prior to COVID, um, Dead Marotz, people who played Dead Marotz and people who played Mall Santas would have like international conventions. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. So, the last one I found was like from, I think, 2018 in Denmark. There had been an international convention uh-huh. of Santa Claus-like characters. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's roll again. Oh, I have six. Have we done six already? Yes. I'm going to re-roll. Oh, one. All right. So for number one, I have... Amu Norus, or Uncle New Year, in translation. Norus is the Persian New Year, and it's a celebration that's about 3,000 years old. 
So it was originally a Zoroastrian celebration and then carries on after the conversion to Islam. And it happens sometime in spring. And uh, Amu Noras or Uncle Noras is an elderly man with silver hair, a walking stick, a blue cape and a felt hat. And he brings gifts to children. So very like Santa in those ways. However, as with some of the kind of other traditions we've heard, he has a companion, or there's another character that shows up, who's Hei Firas, and they demand gifts off people. So <laughs> two sides. <laughs> what do they do if you don't give them a gift? No, no, I think you're I think you're safe in that front. You just have to wait till uh Uncle Nora's comes and <laughs> gives you a gift. And this it, I mean this is associated with a, a really very old tradition in Persia. And so a, again, as we're talking about, you can't keep a good folk character down. Most of them we've seen is folk characters surviving the coming of Christianity. But here we see uh Uncle Nora's surviving the coming of Islam as well. I wonder how much that is old aunties everywhere being very stubborn. Like I can imagine, like in my mind, I can imagine auntie, auntie, don't tell them about yeah. the folk tradition. And they're like, no, no, I'm yeah. not. And then give them gifts yeah, yeah. anyway. Tell, giving them gifts. Also, kids like gifts and they're very good to make them behave. <laughs> A lot of these traditions involve... Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. Either <laughs> if you behave, we'll give you gifts or if you don't behave, the thing will come in. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, rolling again. Seven. Okay. Um, I think we've had seven because that was the that was the Black Peter. So just say ten. Ten. It literally was ten. Oh, that's great. Um, so ten is mine. We're going over to Iceland to um talk about another group of people who uh, terrorize children around Christmas time. Um. But mm. this one is, I think, particularly awful. So we're in Iceland. We're talking about the Yule Lads. So I have to leave this with uh. a content warning that in 1746, the Icelandic government passed a law saying that parents were banned from telling stories about these people. That's how scary they were. Now, I don't know if that's <laughs> apocryphal, uh, but I choose to believe it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good story, good story, isn't it? So these are the Yule Lads. The Yule Lads are 13 gnome-like creatures who visit children on the 13 days of the Christmas season. Uh, so you get okay. one per day. So this starts on the 12th mm -hmm. of December and it goes on until uh, the 24th of December. They they all have like really amazing names which are very, very descriptive. So they have names like mm -hmm. the door slammer, the sausage sniper, yeah. the bowl licker, the candle beggar, the yogurt gobbler. <laughs> like they're amazing. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so one of them that is particularly scary, I think, is the window peeper. So the window peeper okay. is one who um doesn't really steal anything. What he does is he waits outside windows on the 18th of December and peeps in. So he's a particularly terrifying oh. one, I think, because most of the yeah. others are just like eating your candles and things. He seems to be yeah. like prowling. Yeah, yeah. He sounds quite scary. Yeah, yeah. But he's not the most scary member of this family because these boys have a mother called Gryla, um, who is known during this period to leave her mountain lair and kidnap mm -hmm. naughty children 
to bring them back to her cave to cook in a stew for her lazy, no-good husband. I was going to say, does one of them eat children? Yeah, but uh, it's lazy, no-good husband. <laughs> well, the official Icelandic website makes clear that the husband is not pro-eating children, but he's, he's just too not, lazy. Yes. So this sounds like it must be a pagan folktale that's carried on. Yeah, and it also has a very similar uh, to a lot of these these folk ones, right? That if the the kids leave up a sock on the windowsill, and if they're good, these yule lads will leave in sweets, and if they're bad, they'll leave in rotten uh-huh. potatoes. Um, right. And the idea yeah. is that it sounds a lot like like a lot of them seem to just like explain like household things happening. So, for instance, uh-huh. like disappearing candles or doors slamming uh-huh. in the wind are now explained uh-huh. by these, like, folk stories. So, again, you can imagine, oh, like... the Yule lads are here. Yeah, yeah. So you can imagine the parent, right? Like, a, um, kids going, why, why, why? Oh, it's yeah. the door slammer. That's why they're slamming. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. So we have two left, right? Yes, two left. Oh, it's number two. I think that's you. So, we're talking about winter visitors, but of course, if you live over the other side of the equator, Easter happens in winter and Christmas happens in summer. So, I have for you the Australian Easter bilby. Good, that sounds amazing. So this is, I think this is probably our most recent example, because the first example of the Easter bilby comes about in 1968, when a nine-year-old girl named Rosie Marie Dusting writes a book about Billy the Easter bilby instead of the Easter bunny. Right. Okay. So is this like, uh, like our Black Peter example, a folk character who is sprung out of a children's book then? Well, it's kind of done on on purpose because... Eventually, when she grows up, Rosemary publishes this book, and at some point it gets connected with the environmental movement in Australia, because, of course, rabbits are a horrendous problem in Australia. They really damage the environment. In fact, at one point, the really myxomatosis saved the Australian ecosystem, uh, because the rabbits were really uh, causing Great well, they literally built a fence all across Australia yes. to try and stop these rabbits. Right? Yes. So at one point, the Easter bilby gets picked up as an idea that you shouldn't celebrate rabbits in Australia. So the Easter rabbit shouldn't be coming and giving people eggs. It should instead be the Easter bilby. And there's been various attempts to get people to celebrate the Easter bilby since then, including the production of chocolate bilbies instead of chocolate rabbits and children books written and other stuff like that unfortunately because i love the easter bilby it's a great idea i think it's not been that successful Mm. i suppose the problem is i think unless you're religious i feel like easter isn't that big a holiday so like trying to reinvent them like because i feel all their other examples so the example of the turkish santa it's not a really a very important holiday, but it's like something that's kind of fun and they're attaching it to it. I think the Easter Bilby maybe follows falls into right. that hole where it's like, it's not super important, but it's also not really connecting you to anything that's maybe like fun. I don't know. I think, it, I think it's fun and it's chocolate. I, I, I suspect it's probably that people don't, I, I mean, 
the argument that celebrating the bilby will do something about the rabbit problem is a bit far-fetched though some of them do donate money if you buy them to various eco courses i do like the idea that if people just stop listening to pra- rabbit propaganda somehow <laughs> won't be the one <laughs> it's the rabbit propaganda that's the problem <laughs> All right, Douglas, so we have one left, so I'm not going to roll until we get that number. Let's just go. Yeah, the last one uh, is maybe a a fitting one to end on because um, we're doing the real St. Nicholas. So Ah. St. Nicholas is, of course, the the OG Christmas guy. Uh, I mean, maybe not the Mm -hmm. OG. I suppose Christ is the OG Christmas guy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think that's probably right. (laughs) Maybe Mary's the OG Christmas gal. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So not the OG. Um, The OG Santa Claus is St. Nicholas, right? He's the guy who is broadly believed he's based on. And he was a real guy born in what is now Turkey. Um, He had wealthy parents who inherited all their money, but they sadly died. He joined the church, became a bishop, and became famous for giving out gifts. He had a big heart. Um, There's stories of, for instance, um, him giving money to priests so they could go to seminary. He paid the dowries of local people in his diocese. Mm -hmm. And famously, one of the things he did is local children would hang up socks because St. Nicholas was known to put gifts in them. Oh, really? Yeah, so that's where apparently the sock idea comes from, yeah. right? Because he would go around and put it. I I so want it to be true that that is transmitted because we've seen it over and over again, right? Yeah. In the various Christmas-like things. I so want it to be true that it's transmitted from the original guy. Well, it, if not the original guy, it could be his original tale because he actually becomes yeah. a very popular saint in medieval Christianity. So he becomes the okay. patron saint of children and on mm-hmm. the 5th of December is when you would give kids gifts to celebrate mm-hmm. his feast day. Especially this is true in the German-speaking world where St Nicholas mm-hmm. became a very, very big figure because he was mm-hmm. attached to an old pagan holiday where it was also traditional to give gifts. So he's kind of merged uh-huh. together. Yeah. This is where it gets interesting because I found out how he became associated with Santa Claus. Uh-huh. So during the Reformation, one of the things they very famously got rid of were saints days, right? You couldn't mm-hmm. do it anymore. But mm-hmm. the idea, as we've seen with all these stories, of giving gifts to children is a very popular idea indeed. Yeah. So Reformation in Germany and in Holland dealt with this problem a little bit differently. So in Germany, Martin Luther came up with this idea where he said, okay, it's not St. Nicholas who gives gifts anymore. It's the Christchild or the Christkindl mm-hmm. in German, which is on the 25th of December which over time became Chris Kringle, who you might recognize as one of the names <laughs> yeah. Santa Claus. Yeah. In Holland, they came up with a different solution to this, which is St. Nicholas became Sinterklaas, who mm-hmm. is a folk figure who would arrive on the 5th of December, the same day, and give gifts to children. Mm. Now, at some point, the Germans and the Dutch brought their tradition to America, where the two mm-hmm. were combined into Sinterklaas, Santa Claus, or Kris mm-hmm. Kringle became the same character. And I they see. became celebrated. The parents didn't want to give double gifts. Yes. And they became celebrated on the 25th of December, which is when the Germans right. said you should give gifts. 
something that kind of ties together a lot of the characters we've seen. Yeah, right? yeah, and it's basically it seems that Americans weren't very good at, at differentiating between Dutch and German traditions. <laughs> Just kind of combined the two together. <laughs> so this has been fun. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I've learned learned a lot about fun winter visitors from around the world. Which one do you think is your favourite? So, I mean, I am honestly a big fan of anyone who manages to sneak through large-scale religious conversion. So I think all of the, you know, the Yule Lad, Krampus, Belfana, uh, Uncle Nora's, I'm I'm on all their sides, mm. managing to keep going. Yeah, yeah, I love these stories that kind of keep on going. I think my favourite, though, are, like, the new folk characters. I really love uh-huh. So, like, the Turkish Santa or the 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 um, Australian Easter Bunny. Um, I really... Easter Bilby. Easter Bilby, yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, like, love that these folk characters are still developing into the modern day. Mm-hmm. I think that's, that's really great. Do you know what's so one thing I was doing while I was looking it up? Obviously, we have as humans lots of different kind of levels of story and myth and so on. So, for example, you have religious figures where you have the awkwardness that everyone thinks theirs are real and everyone else is a fake, mm. and then you have characters like a yeti that, if you think are real, people are a bit. Ooh about you but you know everyone kind of knows is a a legendary creature and then you have creatures like the sphinx that nowadays no one believes in but they appear in our stories and then there's this very particular category which is creatures adults know don't exist but they purposely trick children into believing in (laughs) and i was looking for a word because i'm sure this is something that exists in every single human culture just because children exist in every single human culture Mm. and i would love to know all the kind of weird varieties of them that appear as people try and trick children into doing various things they wouldn't do on their own but it's also fascinating the parallels there are with this particular folk cultures across cultures Mm -hmm. like the idea of like punishing children or giving yeah. gifts to children yeah also during winter a lot of them which is a time when yeah. traditionally you would have spent a lot of time indoors like you yes. can imagine you have a five-year-old yes. and you're stuck indoors with the icelandic winter i can imagine why they're like <laughs> they're like oh the the old mother's coming to eat you i can imagine why yes that- <laughs> <laughs> you must behave yes. or the old mother will come and eat you <laughs> The next person to run too close to the fire. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Who ate all the yogurt? Oh, it was the yogurt. It was the yogurt's uh, gobbler. Definitely not your dad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we want another candle. No, I'm afraid the candle exactly. snatchers come. Exactly. Exactly. It's still all of these are still much friendlier though than the Krampus. <laughs> I think that's yeah. that's an awful. I actually am watching one evolve because my nephew believes there's a troll who comes and eats his sweets. <laughs> That's excellent. You need to write a book about it, Will. Yeah, <laughs> about the troll. About the troll. <laughs> the Christmas troll. Yeah. Right, well, this has been fun. So I've been Doug Rooney. And I've been Will Stafford. And um, This was our special winter episode, so we would like to wish all of our listeners a very happy holiday season and a very good new year. Yeah, and wherever you are in the world, if it's cold 
I hope you have friends, food, and maybe alcohol. <laughs> if that's in your tradition. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. You can find us in the usual places. On Twitter, we are at dead underscore speaking. And if you liked this, please uh, like and review us wherever you listen to your podcasts.